Welcome to Talking Not Ranting. My name is Alistair Field. And I'm Greg Smith. You've dropped in on our current topic series, The Struggle to Be a Good Manager. And today our episode, we're going to do another in our interview session, the experience of women in the professional world. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to be welcoming in Carrie Jeffries. So for those of you just dropping in on our podcast, uh, Greg and I have been friends for a long time. And I think today we're still friends. I don't think there's been any negative interactions between of us. We're good? Entering into 2021, still friends. Wow, that's awesome. And I think this will be episode 28. So I think we're on a roll. Episode 28. Mad. I really just hard to believe. It might actually be 29 because I can't count that high, but I think it might, it's 28 or 29. So we're on a roll. So for those of you that don't know us, uh, Greg and I have been managers for a very long time and we've benefited from other people assisting us in our management development. Uh, we've been uh, hosting this podcast series dealing with how we and others have missed the mark. And as we work through this podcast series, we realize that uh, we need uh, other people at the table to share their experiences with us, especially in areas that we don't, it isn't our experience. And so um, that's one of the things we're going to be doing today when we um, welcome Carrie into the podcast. And of course, Greg, we always want to have a good, healthy conversation. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we love the fact that uh, this, this idea of bringing others into the, up to the table because uh, we recognize that although you and I are really different, our backgrounds, our experiences, our work uh, pathways are completely different, um, and we think differently, it's still a narrow uh, view. And so this allows us to really uh, broaden the perspective and get uh, other people's um, input into what do they see and what can we learn from them. And we're both learners, so uh, we actually love these, these interviews. Well, I think this is our, our fourth one, I believe, in the interview series, and I have been amazed at uh, some of the insights and experience that other people have. And, you know, we've had a wide range of ages of people that have participated in these interview sessions. And I, I just find myself coming away, uh, taking a good look at myself and how I approach situations. You know, I'm a, a baby boomer near the end, but a baby boomer, and I come from a very particular background. Uh, culturally and work uh, experience. And I find that when we've had these conversations, I've, I've walked away, I went, you know what, I need to look at the way that I interact with people, the way I talk, whatever biases I bring into a conversation or situation, and I need to be more open. And probably the most important thing I need to listen more. And I, I've just found these, um, although our discussions, when it's just the two of us are fantastic. Uh, I really, really do appreciate when people share with us and uh, we can walk away. I, I know I walk away and take a good hard look at myself and uh, I go, this is good. It's good. It's given me some things to talk about, to think about and uh, different ways to deal with people. Agreed fully. So today um, we're going to continue on with the theme, the experience of women in the professional environment. And uh, Greg, I'm going to turn it over to you. Fantastic. Well, I have the extreme pleasure of introducing Carrie Jeffries, uh, who is Vice President, Clinical Programs and Chief Nursing Executive at Stevenson Memorial Hospital. And uh, so I will start out the process saying, I'm a big fan of Carrie's. I, I'm gonna read through kind of her background, which is just so impressive. But more impressive for me is who she is as a person and how she leads. Because it's good to have all these things and you've got a great background that, that is so impressive. But for me, uh, our experience of working together and just how you think and uh, 
how you care and how you lead is has always been impressive. Uh, you know, your your ears must burn when I talk to others about some leaders that, are, frankly, I um, I uh, I so appreciate. Um, and you're also your openness to learning and growing. So I, we thought you would be a perfect person to uh, be a part of this. Uh, um, so I'm gonna go through, first of all, the standard, uh, here's the background, which is impressive. And I know you will, you'll say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's just what I do, but uh, it's impressive. So, uh, so uh, um, Carrie has 15 years experience in traditional change management and nursing prior to coming to Stevens. Uh, um, you hold honors bachelor degree in nursing um, you also have a master's degree in um, uh, business administration from the University of Western Australia, where you were awarded the Annie Wilkinson Prize for International MBA Student of the Year and the Val Victorian, which I think is cool. I mean, you're global, wanting to, to go and learn there as well. Um, you also, in 2018, and I remember this, uh, was named a we were working together was uh, named the winner of the prestigious Robert Z. Young Health Leader Award, uh, recognizing young Canadian healthcare leaders who have demonstrated leadership uh, in improving effectiveness and sustainability of the healthcare system. Uh, you started as a nurse, um, uh, you were certified as a health executive, uh, and, and then you have really interesting pathway of your career you know, um, in going into policy advising in, in, in Australia, uh, being a consultant from E&I, uh, uh, EY, uh, Ernst & Young, and then working both at the broader um, uh, uh, area with a local uh, health authority to actually coming back into the hospital and being very practical and hands-on. So I really love that you have this strategic perspective, but this this practical perspective and also the broad perspective. So I could sing for hours of your praise and, uh, and I just like you as a person. Uh, so I'm grateful for you taking the time uh, to, to uh, do this. Uh, and uh, at, with doing all this, you, you have a partner and you have uh, two kids and you manage life as well. And you uh, find yourself in the midst of this um, just strange and high pressure situation called COVID-19 in a, in a healthcare environment, which uh, the fact that you've found the time to participate with us today is quite amazing and we, we so appreciate it. So take a deep breath. Welcome, Carrie. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. I think it's always, um, I always find it quite humbling when people read my bio because there is many different perspectives. Some people will say it's eclectic, some people will say, were you confused? Um, and then there's folks like you that will say, um, wow, I get it. You've got a broad strategic um, background as well as a very, you know, on the ground operational background, which was always sort of my goal. It is, it is a circular um, process in my journey. And, and in, in a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of people that you've interviewed and a lot of people that you talk to about leadership, some would consider me um, and many would consider me and I would consider myself relatively young in that journey. So 15 years versus 25 years. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the, the health leader award was for a young health leader. So there, there, it was very intentional, um, that journey to date. And certainly I am still on, on that journey. 
um, but has been has been weird and wonderful in many ways. <laughs> so yeah, thank you. Very humbling when I hear that. Yeah, no, it, it is great, and I I love you know I think that that uh, I mentioned it earlier, but you're 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 really first of all you're intellectually stunning with regards to how you think. I, I've I've heard you talk. I I've, we've talked about how you think, but then you have this heart that you care so deeply about what you do, and then you have a learning. Uh, a desire to learn and grow. So those three combinations for me make great leaders. And we're going to talk about, today we really want to talk about um, kind of your journey and what you've experienced both uh, as you've gone through this journey. And, you know, this is really about how can we learn? Uh, um, and we often learn from those those uh, leaders who we've worked for who have modeled the kinds of, of, uh, of actions and behaviors that create, you know, I'll, I'll, this is the only plug for my book in, in search of safe, brave spaces. Uh, <laughs> Alistair laughs all the time. You can't see him on the screen, but he's holding his head. Um, but really for me, this intention of those leaders that create safe, brave spaces, safe spaces that allow people to learn and grow and try and discover themselves and brave spaces, allowing voices to be heard, courage to be released, it's a powerful thing, and, and in both of our careers, Alistair and I, we've experienced those really great examples that we model and have taken on and learned, and also not so great examples. Um, and, and so we'd love you just to maybe begin, share your couple thoughts around, you know, what were some of those highlight experiences, not only as a, as a young person growing in an organization, but as a woman as well, um, uh, that, that uh, were those um, highlights that stood out to you as both maybe uh, uh, great learning opportunities, beautiful modeling, and maybe not so much um, that you learn what not to do. Sure. So I think, um, I guess the one thing I would start off with is you don't, you don't get to leadership alone, I suppose. Um, and certainly as a, as a person who took on some leadership roles, younger um, than some others, I have to declare that sometimes, you know, I almost feel like I need to list other people's names on my CV because there, I have had some pretty brilliant, um, very supportive uh, mentors throughout my, my journey thus far. And I guess in relation to your question, if there's, if there's a nugget that I, that I certainly gleaned early on um, through some, and I don't even know if I recognized it at the time, through some, some really strong mentorship. And I'll go back to even when I was working um, in my early, very, very early 20s um, at the health department uh, as a public health nurse. My uh, manager at the time came and asked me to chair the department meetings. So there was about 45, predominantly female, because um, it was predominantly female workforce. And to chair a meeting with about 45 nurses in it uh, weekly. And I remember thinking to myself, why is she asking me? And then secondly, do I really want to do this? And, you know, it was, I, and I think the nugget from that was the people that have been part of my career journey have really identified opportunities and knocked on my door. And then made it pretty easy for me to be courageous and say, well, I guess I could give it a shot and let's see how it goes. And if, uh, you know, if I fail, well, I guess I'll learn something from that too. So, 
you know, I would say very early on, I had people in my life and in my career that would say, well, Carrie, you need to, you need to give it a shot. And I, I remember in my 20s, if you can imagine a very structured meeting, but yet a meeting where my own intuition said, people want to have their voice heard here. And now that I actually have the privilege of being in this, um, in this space to allow that, how am I going to allow that? So you've got to go back 20 years and think about some of the milieu of how, you know, organizations were run and, and, and certainly the organization I was in, um, you know, sort of more bureaucratic, more government uh, focused, but certainly there was a willingness at that time to have more um, authentic uh, dialogue. And, and I actually had the privilege of, of being able to facilitate that. And I would say very early on in my career, that set me up well for many other um, scenarios where I could facilitate what you would call, Greg, which I absolutely love, um, brave, safe places to have people uh, voice voice what's on their mind. And so that sort of carried on as a theme. And, and I was working as a public health nurse and decided to go back and do my MBA at that time. And once I, you know, once I went through that experience internationally, it seemed like there was this theme of mentors that came forward, certainly after that, where um, when I, when I was work, I actually fell into a couple of jobs that weren't necessarily on my radar, um, you know, where someone knocks on your door and says, I was working at the health department in, in Western Australia after my MBA, as I would, very comfortable in that space, because I had come um, come from public health and, and policy work in Canada. And Ernst and Young came and knocked on my door and said, Hey, Carrie, come do some uh, management consulting with us. And I was, you know, I was in my mid 20s at that point, and thought, I have no idea what that is. Uh, but guess what, someone said, Hey, you should call the, the this gal named Carrie, who um, we saw in her MBA, and she's one of the only health people, I was the only nurse in my MBA class. And they called me and I said, well, I guess I can give that a whirl, which is something that many Australians would say. Um, they, they themselves culturally are, are, are quite a, um, a fun and, and courageous and adventurous uh, culture. And from there, I think that's where some really pointed serious mentorship started for me. I had a incredible leader at Ernst & Young um, by the name of Jim. And he, from day one, I started with that organization. I picked up my computer he flew me across the country and put me on this massive change management job and said, you will be able to speak to uh, the clinical, um, the nurses that are on this job, you'll be able to speak to the C-suite um, because you understand healthcare and you, you've worked as, a, as an obstetrics nurse and I believe in you. And I thought to myself, I'm so glad that someone believes with no training that I, that I can support and help these two organizations. It was the merger of two hospitals. And so my, my reflection on those two instances is that very early on in my career, the mentors that I've had have seen things in me that I, I totally didn't see in myself. And they knocked on my door and I thought, I guess I got to grab this and just hold on for dear life. So um, very much still to this day, um, when I receive calls to do things I've never done before, it's not that I'm not afraid and I'm okay to say that. Um, and I certainly was objective and, and pretty authentic about that, um, you know, I, and I think people need to be okay to say, let's learn together. And, and, and that's been very early on in my career. I learned that that's the only way to lead is, is to lead together and learn together.
I love that. Uh, you know, one thing that was kind of going through my mind was now as a leader, because you, you said some really beautiful things around what did those leaders do? You know, they saw something in you. Um, they, they allowed you opportunities to stretch. And then they also encouraged you and gave you confidence that you're going to be able to do it were three things that I picked up. Well, what, what have you, how have you taken that away? Like, how does a leader see more of that? Like, how does that, what, what does a leader do now? What have you learned now that you've been able to apply and discover now in the leader role to be able to see what people bring and, and allow them the pathway? So what do you do now to do that? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think what you're asking is um, if I, if I, if I've heard you is, you know, how have I then translated that into my own leadership style? And I think, you know, um, as a younger leader, I, I've always said to the people that um, work with me or work, uh, work for me, certainly in direct reporting relationships, is that the best thing that I can do as their leader is, is to allow them to grow and shift and change as they see, um, you know, their, their goals um, and their goals start to take shape because sometimes you don't always see what you're capable of. And I really view that as my job is to bring out the best, um, the best in, in people. And I do give my leaders um, opportunities to step into, say, for example, my space. I will bring leaders along with me um, to some of my VP meetings. I will encourage uh, growth. And I will encourage in some ways, and certainly um, I don't want to underestimate or, or, or underrepresent how uncomfortable I've been in my career many times that, you know, when I encourage my leaders to step into spaces, I do say to them, it, 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 it could be very uncomfortable, but from, from discomfort comes growth. And if, if you want to grow, then let's, let's find those opportunities for you to grow. And knowing that I'm going to be there, no matter what the outcome is. And sometimes I think people just need to know that. I have been um, very much encouraged in my career to take risks and not to be afraid of failure, both in my personal and, and my professional life. Um, I, was, I was raised that way to, to sort of push myself into places that you know, if you do fail, well, guess what? There's sometimes a greater learning in that than there is in, in success. And don't focus on success, focus on excellence and, and the success will take care of itself. And so I try to impart that on people that work with me and work for me. And certainly I have a deep belief personally that people are, are um, you know, are capable of incredible things. And sometimes it's just shining a light on that. I love that perspective of, of, first of all, as a leader, declaring your intention to support, to grow, to learn, and how you think. Like, who am I, and how do I, how uh, how do I work? I always encourage that if someone's taking over a new role or new people are coming, that that's really clear up front. But then I also love that uh, description that you talked about, where it's almost like helping them to see the possibilities but it's a shared journey and uh, you're like creating the space and sometimes opening new doors into other spaces that they don't yet see uh, for them to explore and discover themselves, uh, you know, to really to unlock and release the potential that's within them that sometimes we don't really even know ourselves. 
because of maybe other experiences that we've had. So no matter what a person's journey is uh, up to the time that they work for you, you have the opportunity to um, provide that space for them to discover and then to encourage. And then to uh, the last piece that really struck me is that they know I'm there for them and uh, how important it is to know that you're there to support them. You've got their back. You're there to, to, to enable their success. That's such, a, that's such a big aha and a beautiful that you've had that experience and now translate that into your own space. Yeah, uh, Carrie, I can't contain myself. You said a couple things a few minutes ago and I thought it was so impactful uh, on my journey on, and on journeys that other people have taken that I, I've talked to. And you, you said a, a term, you asked a question uh, to yourself, I think at many times in your career when people kind of, uh, gave you an opportunity. And that question was, why me? And I think that's such an impactful question because uh, so often, like you looked at LinkedIn right now, everybody's perfect. Oh my goodness. They're, you know, they're, they're, it's this, you know, people are just piling on stuff about themselves. And you know, there's all sorts of 24 experts all over LinkedIn right now. But what I really like about what you said, it was very vulnerable. And I think very honest that, you know, at times when you've got an opportunity to do something or you were asked to do something, you, you had this question in your mind, why me? I think that's so healthy that we don't always have it together. We don't understand where we're fitting into things sometimes. And just that, ability to say, you know what, why me? But uh, then you turn it and you go off and you do something and it kind of fits into something else you said where, you know, a number of jobs that you've had, you've just fallen into them. It wasn't a planned thing by you. It wasn't, you know, you woke up when you were 13 saying, I'm going to do that job when I'm 27. And I just love that in your, in your little talk that it just kind of hit me really hard that I've been in that situation. You actually took me back to a bunch of points in my career where I went, you want me to do what? Why me? And I've actually said that to a boss before. Why me? I don't know anything about that. But that it kind of fits into that thing where that thought where, you know, people see things in you that you might not see yourself abilities, or they can see that, you know, with a little bit of polishing, a little bit of experience, some mentoring that you can get there. And I just thank you for that. I just thought those two things really just kind of rung the bell for me. And I, I think a lot of people would relate to that as well. And you know, the one thing that I found really interesting in those circumstances, certainly personally, when I've, when I've been in that situation, is the people that have tapped on my door have also, and just reflecting on what you said, Greg, and, and, and my sort of core belief is that the people that asked me to do those things also, I knew that the authentic dialogue that was had at that moment, and I'll, I'll give you a, a more pointed example. When I was working for uh, EY, uh, my mentor there came to me and said, I want you to lead this financial turnaround methodology for, um, you know, to create that for the hospital sector. And I said, you, you realize I'm a nurse, right? Like I'm not, I, I do have an MBA, but I'm not an accountant. I said, and you realize I could fail. I could actually fail at this. And he said, yeah, you won't fail. And he said, and you're not alone. So you have access to draw on the minds on the brilliant uh, people that you have around you. And your job is to unlock that knowledge and your job is to facilitate um, getting that down into a strategic approach to how we can bring you know, organizations through a turnaround and we're gonna bring this approach to market. So he was very um, pointed around you know, there are people that, that hold the knowledge all around you all the time. 
And I bring that to my world every day. And certainly one piece that I would reflect on here is, and I know your, your talk today is about women in, in leadership, but I would also say part of my own journey has been being a young leader. And I think there's a lot to be said about being a young female leader that we might get into sort of later, you know, later on in, in, in our talk here today. Um, but, but one of the things is, is I asked him at that point, I said, you know, am, am I going to get people to show up to the meetings that I book? I, I, and I, and even, you know, there's this credibility piece uh, as a young leader. Um, and he said, you absolutely will. And by the time you finish your first session and they realize that, you know, your role is to help leverage the knowledge that they have, um, because you are a humble person, you will be open to what you hear, you do listen, you will not have problem with getting people to, to show up. And so I believe as a younger leader, that lesson in and of itself, um, he set me up for success through the next 10 years of my life because I found that that is the key that unlocks any discussion, regardless of the bias. And I mean, there's a lot of bias in the world today on many fronts, race, gender, sexual orientation. Um, and the one way to, to help bridge that, I think globally is, is around listening and, and listening well. And so that's certainly a, um, a lesson early on that I learned. And I'm not perfect at it. We all have our days where we feel like we need to clean out our ears um, but certainly it is something that, you know, we strive to be excellent at every day, um, as a leader is, is, is really listening and deeply listening. That's great. I love that. Now, is this now so that we're following the routine? Cause sometimes we talked in the pre uh, work that sometimes Greg doesn't know when to pass it on to the next question. So, uh, um, this is, this is my vulnerable Alistair over to you. Thank you, Greg. <laughs> Uh, Carrie, uh, we've kind of you know, intimated uh, that we need to go in a certain direction, that we want to go in a certain direction, this conversation. So, uh, and I'm saying this because uh, the last two major organizations I've worked with, um, it appears to me uh, in the demographic that I sit that uh, there has been huge gains and opportunities and a little bit of an equalization uh, in the participation of, of women in uh, management and in executive management positions. And I'm not I'm going to say right off, I don't know if that's a true, uh, what I'm seeing, whether that's correct or not, or whether it's gone far enough or it's been redressed. But uh, what advice would you give uh, based on your experience? And I think you have a really unique experience that would help managers and leaders create an environment to accelerate the participation and more importantly, the impact of women within the workplace. So I guess I would come from a frame of, I am in a predominantly female workforce. Um, in healthcare, right there. And I mean, you'll see that in, in education. Um, you'll see that in healthcare. So I guess one, one piece that I would say, um, I, we don't, we don't have an imbalance necessarily in the workforce side of the health industry. Um, from a, from a female perspective, I would actually say, um, being married also to my wonderful husband, Michael, he is, he is a nurse as well. So I've got to see, um, I've got to see how that works through a predominantly female workforce. So really, I think your, you know, your question as it relates to, to, to me and to, to the organization and certainly to the industry that I work in, we actually don't have the, um, you know, the bias around not having an equal number of females. We actually have 
a significantly greater number of females uh, in the health industry. But what I would reflect on is what that then creates. So women in, an, in a predominantly female environment, sometimes it can be viewed as a very competitive environment. So from my perspective, where I would take your question, if it's all right, is to say, how do we let women flourish in an environment uh, such as an industry that has predominantly more women in it, is to create a culture of um, camaraderie, not a culture of competition. So a lot of times, you know, in a, in a, in, in a predominantly gender bias, and you find this in a male gender bias environment as well, that your, your colleagues are looked at as, as competitors. And certainly you see that when you get into some of the ranks of, um, potentially some of the ranks of healthcare. The only thing that I can speak to from my own personal perspective is creating culture and environment of empowering each other, women empowering women. And I mean, I do that in my professional and my personal life. So I, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not lost on me that um, there is that, that gender differential in many, um, in many organizations. I think where you may see in our industry, sometimes people's perspective, and I'm not sure that I'm, I'm 100% um, sort of in this camp, that you will see in some of the more senior roles uh, of healthcare, C-suite and above, um, into board level, you'll see a lot of male-dominated uh, C-suites. And so um, I, I myself, um, you know, there's some people that would, would say that that's true. So in that regard, I think as, you know, VPs and or women in, in, the, in the healthcare industry is we have to continue to raise our hand. We have to continue to put our hat in the ring and we have to continue to say that we do have a different perspective. Um, I feel privileged to be a female leader in a, in a predominantly, you know, um, female dominated workforce, because I understand the pressures of being a mother. Um, I, under, I understand the pressures of having a young family and still wanting to achieve in your career. So I feel very privileged to be a part of that, um, that in, of the industry that I'm in. So I, I think the, the key piece there um, certainly is the empowerment piece. We have to create that movement of women empowering and supporting women in a real way, not just on the surface, but really believing there's an abundance mentality of opportunity um, that everyone can flourish when we, when we truly uncover each other's talents and support each other. That is uh, so consistent in, uh, with another interview we did earlier on, and uh, I really appreciate that. The circumstances of that organization, I think we're a little different than the type of organization you're in, but that whole idea of it's not a competition, that camaraderie, I think that's a lesson that is transferable to any industry, uh, to you know, however we define people. I really like that, and it's something until recently I didn't really appreciate. And I think that's so important. And I think it's really important coming from you. Uh, so I think that's, that's fantastic. And I don't know if a lot of people know that. I don't even know if a lot of women know that. And so I think you bring forward that is really, really insightful. In that, yeah, in that interview, Carrie, I'm not sure if you, you uh, heard that one, but uh, uh, the uh, person was talking about applying for a deputy role, which was a very senior role. And there were two women in the group and someone said you 
you guys must be really, you folks must be really competitive of who's going to get it. And she said, well, well, both of us, both of us could get, because there are multiple, there are multiple roles that are available. And so it's about who's the best person for the role. And in the end, they actually both were awarded the, the role. But the fact that there was this, this ingrained perspective of we've got to compete against each other versus how do we support each other in, in the journey going forward? And they chose to support and, and it resulted in that happening, which is, which was a, you know, a really powerful um, um, example that she shared in the interview. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, now more than ever, and I mean, I'm coming from the perspective of working in a healthcare institution during a pandemic that even institution to institution, we've all, you know, we've all had to come together in a different way to, to support, um, to support the, the community through this pandemic. And we've had to, by virtue of the, the challenges, support each other. And so I think um, it's important to recognize that. It's important to recognize, um, you know, that we are, certainly I believe in healthcare, we are all one team. We are all, you know, part of the same system. Um, and so supporting and empowering and enabling each other and, and being open to a phone call at any, you know, at any point in time to talk about how to support our colleagues and, and predominantly, um, you know, other women that are, you know, that are in the field and that are struggling or, their organizations are struggling. So we do need to have this, we do need to have a fundamentally different mentality. That's great. I wanted to shift a little bit to, um, and you mentioned this, which I love, is I think you have a great perspective and insights to share about not only uh, a young uh, uh, woman coming up in an organization, but a young person coming up in an organization. So uh, I want to just ask you, what advice would you give based on your experience that would help um, young and or female or both employees to thrive and feel comfortable in the workplace to have to kind of uh, to be successful and move forward to, to raise your voice what would be some of your insights that you you, you found effective and and also what others might so I think um, just and maybe we you know as you framed it I could think of you know a, a younger and or a, a female I think one of the things that I would say is, is do raise your hand, do open that door when someone knocks on it. Um, and I would say in balance to that is don't rush it because there are times where, um, certainly in my career, it's been, I, and most people would say this, I don't, I don't think this is a, um, a shocker is that when there's been some really challenging times, um, and or, you know, areas in your career where you see you haven't actually been able to take something on that you wanted to take on. Because um, there's always the opportunity that, that's knocked on your door, but then there's you going to those doors and they're locked that reflect on those moments. Um, and when you feel like you're failing, because there are, if I, I would be remiss not to say that as a younger leader, I didn't walk home many days and say, I'm really bad at this. And how am I going to get through, um, you know, believing that there, that there is light at the end of this tunnel, even when it feels really challenging? Um, because if you're a younger leader wanting to have courageous conversations, it is going to be very uncomfortable at times. But what I've found is the more that you step into 
the discomfort. And sometimes getting through that discomfort takes time. It takes time where you've wanted to either move to something else. Um, and certainly I've had a lot of different career opportunities in my life, but I've also had a lot of, you know, opportunities that I saw that I wasn't successful um, at getting. And that taught me as much as when people came and knocked on my door. Um, so I think as a younger person, raise your hand, take the risk, um, look for what you want um, and plan for that, but be okay when your plan goes sideways and be okay that there is a lesson in that and that the struggle is, is part of it, even though you don't really like it at the time, it's very, it's very hard. So I think, you know, that's the humbling part of leadership, certainly as a younger leader and as a younger, you could say a younger woman in leadership is that, you know, there, there's lessons in the times where you feel like you're failing forward, but know that failing forward um, is, is all part of it. And remember the humbleness in that because there's people around you that you're growing and that you're leading that could be in that same difficult space. And the only way that I certainly got through some of those darker days is to have, um, to have supportive people around me to say, it's okay. It's okay that you don't feel like you're, you know, you're great at this today. Um, or you had a, you, you had a really tough conversation. And I think it was, it was you, Greg, who, uh, who sent me, I think many, I think a, a few years ago, a Brené Brown um, podcast during one of you know, the challenging times in my life. And I remember when she said a broken and tired hallelujah. And it, it resonated with me on that day and has resonated with me from that day forward that sometimes leadership does feel like that because real leadership is about authentic dialogue. And so um, for younger leaders, it's, it's, it's okay to not feel like you, you know it all. It's okay for you not to feel like you have it all under control all the time and if you focus on learning from that you'll be okay that'd be my advice <laughs> some some great nuggets in there as well and uh, you know in particular the idea of uh, of also having that inner circle that community to support you because um, often as we're growing and learning and accelerating in our careers we we think we have to be perfect or we believe we have to always be perfect when we fail we think there's something wrong and so having a supportive community around you that just be a, a chamber to to both be vulnerable and to share and to and to support is so critical I think um, and that's what I've discovered often when I've fallen apart it's when I've when I've when I've pulled inward and I've tried to figure it out myself and going forward and, and it's often I've got to a point where it's my community around me that helps remind me of that and that ability to move forward. So I, I loved a lot of the thoughts that you said there, but that, uh, that aspect of, uh, of stepping into it um, and, and recognizing that there will be bumpy and, and, and uh, roads sometimes and things change. The doors might be locked, but what do I how do I pause in that? How do I learn in it? And how do I grow in it is, is so critical um, throughout your career. I find that is so countercultural, and uh, but it's so true what you're saying. I wish somebody had written a book about some of this stuff, but uh, I guess that just hasn't happened. But uh, Gregory. <laughs> <laughs> 
But no, I really appreciate that because people put on this facade sometimes and people say you have to act a certain way, but just the authentic way that uh, that advice that you gave on how you approach things, I think is so healthy to so many people, especially young people, young female employees that might be bumping up against those locked doors or ceilings and stuff like that. I just think that is, that's so, so helpful. And I know Brady Brown's done a lot of great work on there, but this whole, this whole piece of it, I've always believed in this too, is this authenticity to say, you know what, I'm, I'm struggling right now. And being able to let your guard down a bit so that people actually see that, hey, here's what I'm, here's what I'm churning with. And, and uh, here's what I'm thinking. Uh, often we look at our leaders and we think uh, they've just, they've got it all in control. And they don't, they don't see the crying in the car on the way home. They don't see the yelling at the kids when you walk in the door because you're, 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 you're and it's so freeing to be able to, um, yeah, hold your composure and that, but be real. Mm -hmm. uh, being real is so freeing um, uh, in, 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 it impacts not only your, your life as a leader, but your life as a, outside of your profession. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more, Greg. And I think, you know, by, I don't want to say it's by default, because maybe it is by design that I found that being a young leader, I, I really could not pull off what you had, what you'd referenced, Alistair, that facade, because it just wasn't authentic. It, it's not like I had 25 years behind me. I had, you know, and, and in the case of, you know, like I, like I mentioned, a lot of my a lot of my jobs when I when I've taken that door that opened, it was very well known. I had not done that type of work before. So by virtue of those circumstances, I couldn't have it all um, that I knew it all. And you know, certainly uh, this is you know my first vice president role when I um, that I've taken on with my current organization, and that that was declared like that. This is my first VP role. And I have a lot to learn and I, and the brilliant people that are around me are gonna help help to, to, to tell me the things that I inherently don't know, but they have that inherent wisdom. So in my job was always from the beginning um, saying that and declaring that, that part of my role is to facilitate the unlocking of that. And so maybe that's by default or by design, but certainly it's, it's created a more authentic, um, reflection uh, and and that facade just can't be upheld because um it was never it was never thus as my mother would say um so that's that's the way that i've led through my career uh because of those circumstances and the way i do believe that is the right way to lead that's such a that's such a strong message and i don't think we you know we could probably do a podcast just on that authenticity part of that and I think the three of us could just go back in time over some of the people that have led us and you know we, you know we've had those people with the facades we've had those people that are authentic and and who could you speak to in a better more healthy way than that person that's being authentic to you and I Greg and I have been talking about communications and approach and attitudes and psychology for 28 uh, episodes now and I just love that piece that whether it is by default or by design on your part um, who knows but it certainly rings really true to me um, I think uh, 
The next question, I don't know how appropriate it is for our, our discussion, but I, I certainly want your uh, insight into this. Uh, these days, society is very polarized, very binary, uh, cancel culture, all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, there's a bunch of movements to redress all sorts of social problems right now. And I'm not sure what you've experienced in your um in your life, but certainly we'd like to benefit from your experience to this question. You know, as, as human stuff happens, and I've kind of laid out a few things, uh, I've experienced a bunch of uh, uh, steps, programs to bring reconciliation to various segments of society. And I found some of them difficult, some of them awkward, all necessary. And I just wondered what your experience is in this area in terms of, of groups coming together or you know, different groups coming together to try to understand one another, to move forward so that a lot of the problems, whether it's in the workplace or in society, within cultural groups, cross-cultural groups, what have you experienced uh, in your experience, uh, things that have happened in that way and how they've played out? So in healthcare, I think there has been a general recognition over the last, I'm going to say, recent years that certainly in a, and I guess I'll go back to people only come through the healthcare system when they are vulnerable, typically, I shouldn't say only, but typically they're coming through the healthcare system, not necessarily by choice, and they're in a, they're in need of um, care. And I think what care means more broadly and sort of in the context that you're referring to, Alistair, is respecting the differences um, in how people view their health, how people view, um, and certainly culturally as well. There's been a large focus on cultural sensitivity as it relates to um, the healthcare industry, certainly in clinical settings. Um, there is there is more of a, um, a focus on, you know, remaining clinical and not having large, and certainly pandemic has brought, brought forward some very significant stories. And I think, you know, outside of pandemic, um, culturally, it, it wouldn't be, um, you know, it, it would be very insensitive not to allow an entire family, um, you know, 12, 15 people to attend um, in a healthcare situation with a particular patient. And sometimes the stringency around process and protocol doesn't allow that. And I mean, the extreme nature of that is in pandemic where the restriction of visitors and family and caregivers and friends and loved ones to support people while they're experiencing their healthcare um, journey is, is, I mean, it's, it's so challenging right now. But culturally in general, we have, strived certainly and need to continue to strive to recognize um, that different cultures have different um, expectations on how their healthcare is going to be delivered and who is going to be present for it. There's movement, I would say, in the health industry, certainly with the Indigenous population and other um, cultural uh, socioeconomic groups where organizations are getting very focused on understanding and listening to what would improve their healthcare experience. And at the end of the day, when you have an improved experience, typically you'll have an improved outcome. There's greater adherence to recommendations, to medication regimes, to treatment processes and protocols. 
But from a, you know, from a broad reaching perspective, I think healthcare has recognized it. Would I say that we've got that under control and we know exactly how to, you know, reconcile some of those differences? I would say no. Um, we've got a lot of work to do there. And it comes down to that fundamental respect of individuals um, and not just cultural ethnicity, uh, but also, you know, gender and, and certainly, um, you know, how people identify. So I think, you know, to answer your question, I'm not, I don't have, um, you know, a lot of particular personal experience leading that charge. And what I think I have reinforced certainly with the people that work with me is we have to respect everyone, regardless of what that is, um, that difference or that insight that we need, we need to do everything we can to get it. Oh, I really appreciate that on a personal level, having lost somebody in the last couple of months and, and how the health professionals worked with our family to make that final journey um, one that the family would appreciate. I do appreciate those comments. and. Um, yeah, I, I think wherever we find where we work, um, those conflicts or those differing opinions or different experience expectations are so important. I just like the idea that, you know, you you come forward and say, you know, we don't have it perfect, but we, we know we have to do better and we know we have to be more uh, open and we have to communicate. And just the, that idea of, uh, you know, people's experience within the system, that mindset to me, you know, like everybody out there that listens to this probably does different things, but just that mindset, I think is really, really healthy. And it, it shows an openness. And I know that as a consumer of something, if I have a problem with the organization I'm facing, if somebody is trying to listen to me and, and it's genuine, then we're going to be able to meet somewhere a lot quicker, right? We're going to be able to reach an agreement or, you know, expectations are going to be met or whatever it is. I just think that's such a healthy way for an organization to approach whatever it is that we're talking about. And 99% of the time when there's a discord in a, in a healthcare um, setting, it comes down to communication. It comes down to truly understanding and listening what that patient, what that family, what that caregiver, what that support person, because sometimes it's, it's our friends that are the ones that help us through some of our, you know, the challenging times in our life. So I totally agree. And I'm, I'm, I, it's, it heartens me to hear that you had an, an experience in the last couple of months where you felt like you were part of that, um, that journey with your loved one, even though it's so difficult at this time. Oh, no, thank you for that. Um, let's talk about some closing thoughts here. And uh, Carrie, how about you go first? So I think, you know, when it comes to, uh, and, I, and I know this is focused on, you know, being a good manager and what leadership is, I guess my, I, and I don't know whether it's a clothing, closing thought or a leading thought, because I, I, I reflect on it every day. Um, you know, there, there's no, there's no perfect way. There's no perfect, um, you know, sort of roadmap. And I do think that all leaders stumble and whether it's visible to people who work for them or work with them. Uh, and I think that stumble is necessary. I think it's, it's, if we stop stumbling and we think that we've got it, I actually think that's more worrisome from, from the perspective of leadership. Because each new person I've been, um, I have been astounded in my own career 
that sometimes a single conversation with a person I didn't expect and or know before that conversation can have a profound effect on the way that I think. Um, and, you know, don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of, of the stumble and, and, and the rise out of some of those more challenging times, because I think that makes us all better leaders and I think it makes us better people. So that, I, I don't know if that's a closing thought more than a leading thought. Um, not that, um, not that I think your journey to leadership is ever, is ever done, but certainly um, I have been exposed to some leaders that I still to this day look at them in awe and say, how do you do what you do? And how, uh, you know, how have you, and all the accomplishments in their career are one thing, but the actual way that they make you feel when you speak to them, the way that you engage with them, the way that they engage with others, um, I think is the true power. And, and to the, the greatest leaders I've ever worked with, whether they were engaging with one or engaging with hundreds, they were the same. They were as engaged with one as they were with hundreds, whether that be, you know, um, lots of lots of people, you know, in 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 very, you know, profound and, and high leadership roles um, have the opportunity to be in front of teams and be in front of, you know, numerous individuals. But but they the ones that I've experienced as the best are the ones that when you're in front of them, you are as important. And they have just as much of your attention as their of their attention as they've given to to those you know to others. So the importance of one. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I'm lost for words. I don't know. No, I I agree 100. percent That that was that was beautiful. The one thing that I would add or build upon is the idea of it's what we do when we stumble, and I think those two come things combined together so the, as a leader how you respond through the stumble and how you and I often use the the two most important uh, attributes of leaders is curiosity and courage curiosity of of how am I responding internally to this and how you know whether it's a reaction to something and courageousness how do I step into it how do I lead but um, the other thing that I love what you said is just again coming back to this vulnerability being real and being connected and also uh, this belief in in community really is how we move and how the best shifts changes uh, whatever happens when we are um, when we are that as you've described it as one um, so I, 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 I don't think I have anything to add this may be the first time in any of our podcasts where where I don't have a lot to add. <laughs> I agree 100%. And Greg, I think there's an author in our midst, an additional one, and I'm not talking about me. Um, uh, Carrie, I just thought, you know, your closing would encapsulate any podcast or webinar. And I, I just, I'm just so thankful uh, for speaking to you today because that authenticity, um, the vulnerability, not only in what you're telling people should happen, but just in, in the way that you're presenting it and the way that it's represented in your life, I think is such a, a great life lesson for people. I've, I've worked for some of the best people and I've worked for some of the worst people. And uh, it's not hard to figure out what makes that different. And I just really like that vulnerability piece. Um, and, you know, admitting that, you know, why me? 
Uh, I've never done this before. There's nothing more empowering than standing in front of a group of people and say, listen, I'm your new boss and I have no idea what you do. And I don't know how this is going to go, but we're going to do it together is just a, a wonderful thing to say. I've heard it said to me and I've had to say it a couple of times in my career as well. So I just think there's so many things uh, in this uh, talk that we've had today. Uh, one of my jobs is to come up with the byline for the podcast when it gets published. And I'm going to have a terrible time today because there's just too many of them. And I only have so many characters I can use in the description. So I'm going to have to go back and, and really think about uh, what byline to use because there were so many catchphrases in, in this podcast today. And so, Carrie, I'd just like to thank you for spending some time with us. In a moment, I'm going to close this out, but I really appreciate getting to know you. I obviously don't know you as well as Greg does by feel. After spending about 50 minutes with you, I know you quite, quite well. And I, I really do appreciate the time that you've spent with us and some of the things that you've talked about and uh, have shared with us and, and our listeners. Thank you so much. I think I've greatly enjoyed it. Uh, more, maybe more than both of you. I really feel quite privileged to have your time. So thank you so much. I, I think you both obviously are on, on this journey together. Um, I hope that, you know, my time at your diner's table, I, I, it's been so incredible for me that, and I wish you all the best in, in your future interviews and certainly feel feel humbled and grateful that you've asked me to join you today so thank you so uh just to wrap up we hope that uh some of the stuff that we've spoken about you you all find helpful and insightful and encouraging we hope that you didn't find anything we spoke of offensive or made you angry i don't think it's that type of day at all but i think uh greg we still have to fall upon your happy or peeved philosophy yeah, we always end with this, and it really comes from uh, my original coach and how I also try to coach as well is that the best sessions that I've had are ones in which I've experienced joy, something that I've actually recognized that I am accomplishing. So you may have heard things today that, yes, you are moving with and, and have been demonstrating and feel good about that. And, but there may be also things that create churn, things that you think of, oh, Gee, I, 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 I've really fallen in that. And, uh, but that's okay, too, because they're both opportunities to learn and grow. So we, we always hope with these podcasts that you experience uh, some joy and maybe even a little churn. Um, and maybe be a little peeved about, oh, you know, I'm not sure and what I need to do. But it's what the actions you take from this and what you do with it that are most important. I've loved and hated that philosophy since the first time you told me, Greg, thank you very much again. I'm not quite sure where I'm on it today, but uh, thank you for that. So we thank uh, Carrie for joining us today. Now take time with the people you work with. They are an important part of your job, your success, or your failure. Talk to you next time. Take care. <laughs>